The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Okay, so let's go ahead and turn uh, in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. So if you remember, uh, the last Sundays of the month, we were going to continue in our church series. Um, So today, actually, we were going to be dealing with the Lord's Supper, but... Um, there is something that God has just really laid upon my heart, apparently, uh, this week, because I just have not been able to shake it. Um, on Sunday last week, after service, I, I normally have lunch, and then after that, I'll, I'll take a quick nap. Sometimes it's not very quick, but I'll take a nap and, you know, wake up and kind of just try to relax and try to decompress and all that stuff. Well, I got a phone call from a good friend of mine in Hawaii, um, and he was talking to me about a concern that he had. They had just, at this church, particular church, where they had elders and deacons, and, and I, I, know, I know many of the, the, the guys that are on the board at this particular church. And he, he came and he said, Shane, I, I feel like I have a very serious problem here. And um, I, I wanted to, to let you know if there's some, some way you can kind of help me here. So he said that we're having a lot of problems finding a, a pastor. The church is without a pastor right now. And, and so we had a business meeting, and one of, the, one of the deacons or one of the elders had come up to the, the church business meeting to, to let the church know why they're having a problem. So he says that they're going through all these candidates, but they absolutely can't get the Trinity correct. And he says, these pastors come out of Southern Baptist seminaries, and they absolutely cannot have, they don't have the Trinity correct. And I was like, really? You would think that that would be one of the first things that they would, you know, be getting correct, especially after seminary. And he goes, yeah. He goes, so he's telling the whole church that they come through, we ask them about the Trinity, and they all come out and say that they believe that Jesus is equal to God the Father. Okay, so I, 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 was, I paused there for a second, and I go, so they believe that Jesus is God. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what they were saying. So they believe that Jesus is God, so we had to pass on them. And I was like, okay, wait, wait. Let me make sure I get this straight now. So they're saying that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are, are three in person, uh, one in substance, three in person. Yeah, absolutely, that's what they say. And we had to pass on them. Wait, wait, you passed on them because of that? Well, yeah, see, this is why, Shane, I'm, I'm wondering, is this a problem? <laughs> so uh, I'm like, okay, uh, let, let's clarify a couple of things. So, you know, I asked him personally, what do you believe about the Trinity? What do you believe about Christ and all that? And so he told me, yeah, I, I, I think I agree with them, but our board, a lot of these guys... They believe that Jesus is, is Lord, but they believe that God created Jesus, so therefore Jesus is a creation. And I'm like, wait, these are the guys on the board. I said, is it just one guy? He goes, no, it seems like all of them. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, yes, so to answer your question, is this a serious problem? The answer is yes. This is a serious problem. And when I go to Hawaii, I know these guys on the board. When I go to Hawaii, yes, I will punch them in the stomach for this. 
this is this is unbelievable. So we're we're having so so all week long. They, they've been having these conversations and these debates at the church, and they keep calling me. Like, hey, Shane, what about this? What if they say this? What if they say that? I'm like, are you serious? And the bottom line is, family, it's like the elder board of that church is essentially Aryans. And, and I said, okay, we, we, okay, there's some serious things. we got to sit down. You know, we can, we can talk with leadership and all that stuff. I'll help out in every way that I can. They are an SBC church. They are a church family. We need to help our church family, don't we? But what happened is just some nights were just sleepless and, and, and I just, and then and one particular night, I think it, was, it might have been Friday or Saturday, I was reminded of a conversation that I had once with one of my mentors when I was a young preacher. He said, Shane, one of the mistakes you guys make as young preachers, one of the big mistakes you make, Norberto, listen to this, this is important. One of the big mistakes we make as young preachers is that you assume too much. What does he mean by that? We come to a church and we assume that all the members got the Trinity right. I come to the church and I assume you guys all know the gospel. You guys got this. I'm I'm assuming that we get this. And he's saying this is a big mistake. Shane, you should never, never do this. And this is what has happened. All the way to the elder board at this church, we assumed that these guys actually understood what was necessary to understand when it came to the Trinity, to the point where they're now in leadership. We assume these things. We assume too much, assuming that that the people that we have charge over have certain theological truths in order, especially when it comes to the Trinity. I have got to make sure that we all have this right. Do you want to know why? Because if you mess up the Trinity, the consequences are eternal. Shane, how serious is the Trinity? So serious that the church has said over and over again, for all of church history, ever since that first Nicene Creed came out, that if we do not believe that Jesus is God, we're going to hell. Serious. I mean, 2 John makes it very clear. If you, do, if you wander away from this teaching of Christ, you have no relationship with God. The Bible is very clear on this. We don't, we don't have the right teaching about Christ. We don't have a relationship with God. And the scripture in 2 John goes on from that, right? If you support or if you encourage people who don't teach and believe the truth about God, then you are partners with them in their evil work. Second John. It's not shame. It's not church history. It's not our creeds and confessions. This is Second John. How important is this? Uh, Herman, Herman Bovink, he says this. The Trinity beats the heart of the whole revelation of God for the redemption of humanity. As the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Our God is above us. He's before us and within us. We can say that as Christians. My God 
is above us. My God is before us. And my God is within us. Well, how can that be? It can be because of the blessed trinity. But in sin, the pattern of this world, teachings that we hear, I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Even people that we would know today, very popular, quote-unquote, evangelical preachers today, don't believe the Trinity correctly. I could, say, I, could, I could say names that you would know of popular preachers that don't believe the Trinity correctly. Sin in the pattern of this world has caused us to lose sight of the beauty of the transcendence of what we would call the Trinity. The wonder of it all. Do you know that the, the idea, and when we get the Trinity correct, it drives us to worship, doesn't it? It drives us to worship. But family, in our arrogance, we look at the wonder of the Trinity, and maybe we see it more like some kind of magic trick. Wow, it blew my mind. But my goal today is to find out how they did it. Instead of sitting back and saying, wow, that was a cool magic trick. That was really cool. And just walking away amazed. No, 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 no. We're like, how did he do that? And we try to sneak in behind scenes so that we can try to figure out, what, what is that about us? Why, why do we do these types of things? Is it because the pressure from our culture our culture is putting pressure on us to say, well, you know what? We can't make sense of the Trinity. So because we can't make sense of the Trinity, therefore Christianity is wrong. And then we as Christians go, well, we can't have them believing that. So let's figure out a way for us to figure this out and to explain it to them. Instead of just sitting back and saying, hey, you know what? This is causing awe and wonder in us, isn't it? Well, instead of trying to figure it out, maybe what we need to do is get on our knees and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Is it maybe we can't handle God not fitting into our box? Maybe we struggle with that. That's why we got to figure out the truth. Why we gotta, because we got a box and God is just not fitting in it. And so we got to figure out a way to get God to fit in our box. Some people might say, well, you know what? It just, Shane, it just requires too much faith for my taste. It's just too much faith. I get faith, but it's just too much faith. I got to believe too much. That's just doesn't make sense. Because in, in the, the board that we're talking to, that's the one thing that people will say all the time. Well, if Jesus is, you know, begotten of God and he's God, that doesn't make any sense. So we can't believe that. That's what they say. It doesn't make any sense. So we will turn away from this truth because it doesn't make any sense. There are many reasons, family, why we struggle with the doctrine of the Trinity. But in reality, it is the struggle to figure it out that is the very thing, family, at least for me, I can say, and that's the very thing that confirms more and more every single day that he is God and I am not. I mean, it doesn't take long for you guys to figure, figure me out. You know, it doesn't take long. But man, figuring out 
who God is, making sense of just how transcendent he is, that's the whole reason why we use the word transcendent, because he transcends us. He is so much bigger. He is so much brighter. He is so much uh, uh, better, or not better, but necessarily, but, but uh, uh, so I say magnanimous, magnificent. It's awe and wonder when we think of him. When we, when we go through and look at the, the, the Trinity, it's awe and wonder. When you look at this and what he's revealing to us about himself. But see, here's the thing. We are finite creatures trying to understand an infinite God. Do you realize just explaining certain things? We wouldn't understand because we can't comprehend. Oh, but Shane, you know what? One day we're going to go to heaven. And when we go to heaven, man, we're going to see it all. I don't think so. Because even when we go to heaven, we're still the creation. Even when we see things clearly, God is just going to be so much more. The angels have been going to and fro between heaven and earth. The angels are in the presence of God, and they still are in awe and wonder of the majesty of our God. I can't figure this out. He must be God. But the corruption of sin that causes us to go from, from wonder to wavering <laughs> instead of wonder to worship. So that's why, family, today we got to trust the scriptures. I just am doing this thing. This is not necessarily an emergency sermon, but this is making sure that we're ready. <laughs> I, I was, uh, you know, actually, there is an incident that happened here at this church. I, I can't remember. Some of you guys might remember the situation, um, might remember the situation. Uh, and so, you know, help me with my facts. Uh, but this happened at another church as well. But there was a vi visitor or a person that was actually coming to Central Baptist Church coming, uh, you know, had been coming for a couple of weeks, had, had come to the church and, um, and had uh, left the church and drove out of this parking lot, got into an accident on 6th Avenue and died. Now, here's the thing. When you hear stories like that, now this, this also happened at another church that I went to. Came to, the, came to the church, got into their car, drove away, got into an accident, and died. And the one comfort that we had, that I had, at least at, at our church, was we preached the gospel every week, right? She got to hear the gospel before. And so it's like one of those things where we just don't know, right? Isn't that the reality? I mean, the reality is that many of us today, we could get into our cars, we could drive home, we can get into an accident, and the next thing we see is the risen Lord. So that's why sometimes I just want to make sure. So we're not going to assume anything today. I just want to make sure. Because the consequences are eternal, family. They're eternal. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. 16 and 17. After his baptism, as Jesus came 
up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And God, I pray that your word will be a guide today. You have revealed, you have revealed to us your character and even some of your nature. And God, though we wrestle with it, Lord, I pray that you continue to help us to recognize and see and know that you are God. And knowing that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is what the scriptures reveal about the distinctions between the three persons of the Trinity. The next thing we're going to look at is we're going to explore what the scriptures reveal about the three persons of the Trinity, all three of them being fully God. <laughs> Third, we'll discover that these three persons are not three different gods, but they're united, one God, three in one. So finally, then we will rejoice in the truth that the wonders of the Trinity drive us to the wonders of the gospel, which drives us to the wonders of worshiping the King of Kings. So our thesis statement today is this, though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to lose sight of and even diminish the all-important blessed Trinity, it is the power of God the Holy Spirit, and the truth of the scripture that will cause us to see the wonders of the Godhead that will lead us to awe and worship of the living God. So if we study the Trinity and it doesn't cause us to worship our Lord, we did something wrong. Okay, so hopefully I don't mess this up today. All right, uh, point number one, God is three persons. God is three persons. God is three persons, yet one God. So essentially, family, we can define the Trinity as God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God, and there is one God. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, why wouldn't it be? If an infinite God is trying to explain to you what he's quote-unquote made out of, it would probably blow our minds. Like I said last week, if God would actually give us the totality of his nature and we say, hey, God, I want to understand the totality of your nature. And if God actually were to put that knowledge in our heads, our heads would probably explode. He's an infinite God. The word Trinity, I will say this, the word Trinity is never found in the Bible. It's not. But the idea that we get from the Trinity is represented and it's taught many in many places in Scripture. The word Trinity essentially means triunity, the three in oneness. It is used, the word that we use to summarize the teaching of Scripture, that God is three persons, yet one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one in substance, three in person. It's so much easier to say Trinity, isn't it? <laughs> That's why I love the, the word Trinity. It's so much easier to just say Trinity. Just believe in the Trinity. But we must trust the scriptures. And the, the scriptures make three things very clear. Number one is that in the Trinity, the persons are distinct. 
Number two, each one of them is fully God. And number three, they are one. Now, there's so much more, but, you know, I, I mean, I can go on for years just talking about this stuff. But, you know, I got to do it in 35 minutes. So we're just going to focus on those three. Essentially, that's what it is. Number one, we're saying the Bible is just teaching us, number one, that the three persons are distinct. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're not the same. Let me explain to you why that's important. Distinction is very, very important. Number two, that each one of them is, they're fully God. Each one of them are God, fully. And number three, they're not three different gods, but one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. But they're distinct. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So the key to this passage when it comes to distinction is that the Word, who we understand is Jesus, because John makes it very clear that he's talking about Jesus when he's talking about the Word. He's talking about Christ. The Word was with God. So it kind of is hard to make sense of the word being with God if the word is God without the distinction. See what I mean? So it's making a distinction right there that Christ, God the Son, is distinct from God the Father. He could only be with God if he was distinct from God. Here's another one. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Some of your translations will say that Jesus comes before God to intercede on our behalf. How can he come before God if he's not distinct? See, Christ is distinct. God the Son is distinct from the Father. And not only is the Father distinct from the Son, the Holy Spirit is also distinct from the Father and the Son. In John chapter 14, verse 26. John chapter 14, verse 26. But when the Father sends the advocate, it's kind of bizarre to send yourself. <laughs> When he sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. And he also makes a distinction between the Holy Spirit and himself. So here we see that the Father is separate from the Holy Spirit, and so is the Holy Spirit separate from the Son. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. How could the Spirit plead with the Father if he wasn't distinct from the Father? So we see here the Holy Spirit is distinct from the Father. He intercedes for us. We also see in John chapter 16, verse 7. John chapter 16, verse 7. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. There's a distinction between 
God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So hopefully we're seeing that. Scripture is clear. I mean, I can go on and on about this. Scripture is clear. It's showing that there is a distinction between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are not the same in person. They are distinct. It is clear in the scriptures that we do not sing God in three persons in vain. Okay, so hopefully you guys are going, all right, Shane, you made your point. You made your point. God is distinct. This is distinct. See, see here, let me, let me jump ahead. I'm going to jump ahead. So if I come to this and I start doing it, just help, help, help remind me. Why is the distinction between them, why is that important? There is a, a, a heresy that's still happening today. It's, it's with our, I, 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 always, I always say this, my, our Pentecostal holiness brothers, but in reality, they're not brothers, just to be honest. Our Pentecostal holiness, because what they teach is they teach what's, what's referred to as modalism, which is ancient Sabellianism. And really what this heresy is, is that there's, there, there's not a distinction between the persons. You can turn back on. What they're saying is this, is that God is God, but he manifests himself three different ways, meaning that he'll put a mask on. So here, God the Father is wearing God the Father mask. Now, he decides he's going to be God the Son, so he wears God the Son mask. God the Holy Spirit, I'm God the Holy Spirit, now I'm going to put the God the Holy Spirit mask on, and I'm going to function as the Holy Spirit. I'm going to function as God the Son with the God the Son mask, and I'm going to function. But it's still not a distinct person. It's one person. So here's the thing. My question is, could God die? So who was it that was up on the cross if there's only one person? So the question is, did he actually die? And if Jesus didn't die, was their penalty paid? It can't be. It can't be. Because God, the, the rule is, right, the wages of sin is death. How do you pay for sin? Death. Jesus had to die. But if Jesus was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in one person, then God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit was on the cross. And since we're all here today, and the entire universe didn't explode, we would assume that God didn't die, then did he? This is why this is a horrible heresy. This is horrible. This is an awful thing that they're teaching. You have to have the persons distinct. You have to have the persons distinct. God in three persons, blessed Trinity, we sing it. Do we believe it? This is not the teaching. This is not the true teaching of Christ. And if we wander away from the true teaching of Christ, the Bible says you have no relationship with God. This is serious, family. This is serious. Okay, now you may one day talk with somebody who's way smarter than me, and they may say it's not serious. And in that case, then you can, you know. But family... 
this is serious. It's scripture. It's making it very, very clear. They have to be different. Modalism is a heresy. And this was just Sabellianism. Sabellianism was what it was called before. Now it's called modalism. And you know what the, you know what the example that people give? Uh, they, they give an example. Like, let me explain the Trinity to you. The Trinity is like a pyramid. It's just one pyramid with three different sides. Do you know what that example of the Trinity is teaching? Modalism. One with three different faces. God didn't, God the Father did not suffer on the cross. It was God the Son. And because they were distinct, God the Son taking on the very nature of humans, becoming God man, and becoming man, Jesus was able to die. And he was able to die for real. God died. And paid the price. But it could happen because of the blessed Trinity. You see that? It's awesome. It's awesome when we look at this. So, okay, Shane, I'm hoping that you guys are saying this. Shane, you made your point. Okay, we don't want the modalism. We dust, dust off our feet. Okay. You made your point. They're distinct, they're three different persons. All that sending and all that interceding stuff, okay, you made your point, you convinced me. But does that mean that they're all gods or all God? That they're fully God? Hmm. Well, I'm glad you asked. Point number two, fully God. Each person of the Trinity is fully God. And, and here's the thing, here's the thing, Don. When we're talking, I'm talking with the, with the guys over at this church, it, it's like it's like they can believe that Jesus is created by God, and still be God. And, and see, that's the right. It's like they say, "Oh, I can't believe that Jesus is begotten of God, and and therefore because he's begotten of God, he's God." That doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm going to believe. That Jesus is created of God and still God. Well, that doesn't make any sense either. See, this is the thing that gets me. This is the that we've got to watch out for, right? And, 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 when, and when we come to theological uh, argumentation and when, when it comes to these kinds of discussions that we have in forums and all this kind of stuff, you've got to remember that every time you open the door, a back door swings open. You always got to watch the back doors. And that's exactly what they did here. They opened up a back door. Because the reality is, is that Jesus created, and Jesus being God at the same time as the creation, that doesn't make any sense. Matter of fact, that's even worse. Because I can show you in Scripture where we're not supposed to worship any creation. We're only supposed to worship God. And if we're worshiping Jesus, and Jesus is a creation... We're committing idolatry. See that? It's important that we get this. So each person of the Trinity is fully God. Fully God. All the attributes of God is given to all three of them. God the Father is truly God. There's no real credible dispute concerning this. So if somebody's out there disputing whether God the Father is really God, then you, you, just, you just, you know, maybe 
I don't know, maybe, I, I don't want to say just walk away. You probably should hit them first and then walk away. Right? If they're saying God the Father is not God, then it's not even a conversation worth having. The scriptures make this clear. Christ himself is even praying to God, the God who is in heaven. Come on. But is the Son fully God? Clearly. And this is one of the things that we hear from groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons. They, they all deny that Jesus was fully God. Um, they will all say something very, very bizarre to me. They will say that the scriptures never give you the idea that Jesus is God. And, and it's really kind of bizarre. I'm always wondering kind of like that, what that is. Now, now, to be fair, I did talk with a, a, a Jehovah's Witness. He's a, a, a theologian, supposed to be a, one of their main scholars. We did kind of have a forum with him once. And he was saying that it's not that we, we're not believing that the scriptures say that he's God. We're just saying that Jesus never said that he was God. Which I thought, well, that's kind of bizarre. Because wasn't it Jesus that said before Abraham was I am? Hmm. Wasn't it Jesus who picked up the, 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 the guy that was in the bed, the cripple, and said, your sins are forgiven? I'll tell, I'll tell people, like, right now, Jesus could say, you know, I'm God, but the one thing that's even more clear to me that Jesus making the point that he's God is when he did that. Your sins are forgiven. Because who's the only person that can forgive sins? God. And so that you believe that I have the power and the authority to forgive sins, rise and walk. Wow. Really? Jesus didn't say he, he was God? John chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Get it on chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was what? Was God. So the Bible doesn't say that Jesus was God? Seriously? Come on. Does it get more emphatic than that? Seriously, I, could, I should just be able to end it there. In the beginning was the Word. We know John made it very clear in that chapter that the Word he's talking about is Jesus. And he's saying that, the, that Jesus was with God and that Jesus was God. Absolutely phenomenal. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to, any, to everyone. So Christ was not only with God, giving us a picture of distinction, which is important for us to have, Christ also was God. The Bible's saying Christ is God. Now again, you're going to have a hard time believing that Christ is God and believing that sometime before creation, God created him. Arius himself said, when he came, Arius believed that Christ, that Jesus was Lord, for sure. But Arius said the one thing that was, that, you know, that declared him a heretic. He said there was a time where he was not. So he was like, you can go way back even to all the way to eternity. 
He believed that Christ was a creation, but he believed that Christ was the first creation, the very first thing he created. And, and that's supposed to make it bitter? No. I would, wouldn't you guys have a hard time, at least for me, I have a hard time believing something being created as being, the, as being God. Just, that, that's, a hard, that's a hard thing for me. So that was the thing I was saying to these guys, going, hey, what, what in the world? Like, uh, so you don't believe only begotten, you know, all that stuff. You believe that Christ was created. So therefore, you still believe that he's God, but yet was created. And that's better? John chapter 20, verse 27 to 31. John chapter 20, verse 27 to 31. Then he said to Thomas, and I remember Thomas was just like, man, you guys all talk about Jesus being resurrected and all that stuff. Let me tell you something. Until I see him, and I see and I look at his hands, and I see the scars on his hand, and I can put my finger in it. Until that happens, I'm not going to believe that he rose from the grave. And what happened? Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And what did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, well, you shouldn't believe that, Thomas, because I'm not really God. No, he didn't say that. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do, and this is the thing I want to see. This is what's striking about this passage of Scripture. He, uh, John gives this picture, this illustration, and he goes on to say what? That the pinnacle of his book, he goes, right after this, he says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. This is what John says right after that story with Thomas. Almost in a way, what I think is happening here is John is saying, and this, what Thomas just did, is what I'm praying this book does for you. That you look, you see the miraculous, you see everything that Jesus had done, and in the end, you, like Thomas, cry out, my Lord and my God. And that by believing that, you will have life in his name. That's the point. The whole point is that so we will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But in essence, he illustrated that. What does that mean? It means that we cry out, my Lord and my God, just like Thomas did. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God. This is God talking to Jesus. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. He was recording God talking to his son, he says, your throne, O God. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. 
Is Jesus fully God? Scriptures are saying that he is, making it very, very clear. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. The apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter, all the disciples. I mean, when it comes to church history, man, when it came to the Apostle Peter, man, Peter was the man. Paul wrote more, but Peter was the man. Peter called Jesus our God and Savior. Romans chapter 9, verse 5. Romans chapter 9, verse 5. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Paul the Apostle is saying that Jesus is God. And one of my favorite ones, because, man, we, we learned this, right? I mean, even, even when we were young, we always remembered that passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And we all said that this child that was born, this is a picture of Christ. He's talking about Christ here, right? For a child is born to us. A son is given. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a, a, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called. We say this is Jesus. We say this is a child, one that was coming. We say this is Jesus. And what do we call him? Wonderful counselor, mighty God. And it's even more than that. This is the part I love that, that shows unity now. They call Jesus the everlasting father, the prince. Come on. What is this? Why is this happening? Why are we rejecting this? Why are we rejecting this? And family, there are tons more. I can give you more and more scripture just this just time. I can give you more scripture. It's not unclear or unwarranted for us to believe that the scripture makes it clear that Jesus is fully God. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Well, but Shane, my Bible says that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. And my Bible tells me that there were times where he didn't know stuff. Yeah, good question. But... Not a question that hasn't been answered for the last 2,000 years. <laughs> we see in our 1689 London Baptist Confession, when it comes to Christ, it says, the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the, now all the modern translations these days will say, 
one and only. Some of your translations will say his one of a kind son from the father. Uh, the ESV will say the one and o the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. But if you have the new King James version or if you have the King James version, it will say the begotten son of God. Now, a disunderstanding has always given people difficulty when trying to understand what it means for Christ to be begotten. It's in the scriptures, right? We've got to honor it. It's, like, it's not like one of those things where they're like, you know, this is what they used to do sometimes in Bible college. Be like, well, you know, Shane, uh, you know, I know that's a really good question you got. Uh, it's not really that easy to answer. So why don't you go home and pray and then God will reveal it to you? Yeah, no, no, we're not, we, we won't do that. We won't do that today. This understanding has always given people difficulty when trying to understand what it means for Christ to be begotten. Now, let me say this. I hesitate doing this, but I'm going to do it. Uh, since the 20th century, modern translations, modern exegetes, a lot of the Greek scholars since the 20th century, they kind of look at uh, uh, monogenes, which is what we translate as begotten, only begotten, or one and only, they prefer the one and only or the one-of-a-kind understanding of the Son. So they, don't say, they, they won't say that the Bible is not saying that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. They will say that Jesus is the only one-of-a-kind Son of God. It's probably what, what they've been saying since the 20th century. Now, this is since the 20th century. So in reality, family, this is pretty new. But most of our Bible, modern Bible translations have gone with it and have translated it that way. I got to be honest with you guys. I know that they say, well, you know, that gets rid of the begotten. It gets rid of this idea that Jesus was born somehow in eternity past. It gets rid of that. And I'm like, kind of. I mean, seriously, like even still, you're saying that Jesus was the only one of a kind son of God? Eh. I mean, I, I can see how it's better but I don't think it fixes the problem, really. Like, it still kind of implies that Jesus came from God, right? So it doesn't fix that part. So, but the reason why I'm telling you this is because now there is a movement of, of guys like me that have said, you know what, it's not really fixing anything. And I don't, and, and some of them are even giving reasons why we shouldn't be translating that way, that they feel like the translation should be Jesus was the only begotten son of God. Like begotten is the best way to translate it. They're saying that way. So there's this movement that's pushing us to go back to that. Again, I'm not going to solve that here today. We're going to leave that up to people who are way smarter than me. You know, I'm going to leave it up to them to figure this part out. But here's the thing. If, if we end up with Jesus being the only begotten son of God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. If we understand what it means for him to be eternally begotten of God, it doesn't change anything. All it means is that Christ in eternally was, he eternally comes from God. That's all that means. He eternally comes from God. But Shane, it kind of gives you the idea that he was born of God, like God gave birth to him, right? One, one scholar will say that, yeah, begotten is essentially the male version of females giving birth. I thought that was pretty funny. But it, it kind of carries that idea, right? Because begotten kind of ca carries that birth, that literal birth thing. 
But eternally begotten is what we see in our historic creeds. It does not mean that Christ was created. The creeds say he was begotten, not made. Christ was begotten, not made. It simply means that Christ came from God. Begotten does not mean he was created. It simply means that the Son of God came from the Father. See, the mistakes that are made when it comes to our understanding of begotten concerns the diminishing of the nature of the Son if we were to see it as a birth. So let's go. Let's just let's go with that. Let's just say that, that, that that's the be- a better way of saying it, that, that God gave birth to Christ. Okay? Let's just say that. The thing is this, this is what's really bizarre to me, okay? Let's just say that. I was, I was watching a, 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 a liberal scholar was actually on, um, uh, who's the, Colbert? Uh, he's a talk show host on HBO, I think. He's, he's like, so he's talking about Jesus as the son of God and all of this stuff. And this liberal theologian was just like, you know, you say that Jesus is the son of God, but you don't think that Jesus is God? And he's like, no, no, Jesus wasn't God. But you believe he's the son of God. Yeah. And then you don't believe he's a God. This is Colbert asking him, right? <laughs> this is really amazing to me. And then he goes, well, let me ask you a question. What would you call the son of a duck? And everybody was cracking up laughing in the audience because the liberal theologian was stuck. And then, and then Colbert goes, yeah, you would call him a duck, wouldn't you? So that, that, that helped me with this. Because I'm thinking, it's really bizarre. We say that Jesus is the son of God, but don't believe that he's God? Why do we do this? Right? Because what is the son of a bear? A bear. What is the son of an alligator? An alligator. So what is the son of God? God, just because a duck was born from a duck doesn't say that he would be less duck. Just because the son of a bear was born of a bear, we wouldn't say that he was less bear. Is my son Scott less human than I am simply because he's my son? Wouldn't you say that since he's my son and he's a human being that he, can t- he has all the attributes that a human being would have? As much as I have, at least? Yeah. So when we look at Scott, we wouldn't look at Scott, uh, I hope you wouldn't, look at Scott and go, hey, well, Scott's the son of Shane. He must be a primate. (laughs) He's not less human because he's my son. So why do we say Jesus is the son of God and we would call him less God? Why would we do that? If the son comes from the father, that means he's less God? No, if Christ is the son of God, that means he possesses all the attributes that God the father would have, equally God in every way, namely eternality. If Christ really is the son of God and Christ is God, then Christ was never created. But Shane, he was born of God. I I get it. So he did that eternally somehow. Somehow? Well, how do you figure that? I can't. I, I, I don't even understand eternity. I mean, have you guys done that before? Have you did the eternity test before? Just by yourself, sit down, turn off the TV, turn off the lights, turn off everything, and just try to see if you can understand what it means 
to never have a beginning. We can't understand eternality. We can't understand that. All we can, all we can conceive of is that everything has a beginning. When, when people say Jesus and God the Father, God the, God the Holy Spirit, they always, they always was. Wait a minute. Does that mean there was no beginning? Yeah, never had a beginning. They just always was. Guys, that is short circuit your brain. So we're supposed to understand how God begets Christ eternally, and we're supposed to be able to figure that out? No, we can't figure it out. So in our human arrogance, we go, then it must not be true. Wow. I don't, I, I don't even know. I, don't, I can't figure out how it rains. So it must not be true. If Christ is the Son of God, that means he possesses all the attributes of God the Father, equally God in every way. Christ never had a beginning. This is why the historic church always said that he was eternally begotten, so we get it out of our head that there was some kind of creation or some kind of beginning to all of this stuff. Get it out of our heads. There was no beginning. He was begotten. He was not made. He eternally comes from God. If Christ is the Son of God, then he must have all the attributes of the Father. If he does not, then he's not God. So you see, family, there's not a problem with this. There's no issue. There's nothing we're needing to solve here. How can God, Christ, come from the Father and not, and, and not be created is what people will say. This is what it means for, an inf- for him to be an infinite being and for me to be a finite creature. I may never be able to understand this, but I don't have to because all this tells me is that he's God and I'm not. But Shane, come on, Christ is not omniscient. Okay, but Christ is obviously not omnipresent, so he can't be God. This is what I get from scripture, I mean from people too. This is showing that Christ isn't God. He's not omniscient, right? You guys know what scripture I'm talking about when he's talking about how he's coming back, Christ is coming back, and, and God, he says, nobody knows. The angels don't know. The son doesn't even know. Well, he doesn't know that. So how can you say he's God? Because God knows everything. Well, when we do stuff like that, we miss the beauty of Christ being the God-man. If we miss this, we miss something absolutely incredible. When the Son was incarnated or made flesh that dwelt among us, he became human. And to say that he was human and for him not to be human would make him not human. So is he human or is he not? I mean, what if there was a human being that came into this world who knew everything? Like, literally knew everything. I mean, some of y'all are thinking, my, you know, my uncle, he's a human being that thinks he knows everything. You know what I mean. Actually, he does know everything. What happens if you meet a human being that comes to this earth, knows everything, and, you know, is able to, you know, pick up your house with his hand? Oh, oh, there it is. There's the crack in the foundation. Let me fix that and then put your house back down. This human being was everywhere at one time. Would we question 
if that person really was a human being. So the Bible had to do things to show us that Christ really was human. Christ had to be human. It's really important for him to have been made flesh. The scriptures make it clear that Christ was human. Make no mistake about it. He was 100% man. He was 100% God. Knowing all things, again, is not an attribute of human beings. If Jesus says he does not know something, like when he's coming back, the scriptures are illuminating what we call the humanity of Christ to show us that Jesus really was a man. So Jesus, as a human being, was he omniscient? No. Jesus, as God, was he omniscient? Yes. Jesus, as man, was he omnipresent? No. Jesus, as God, was he omnipresent? Yes. Oh, but Shane, no, we're talking about some serious stuff here, man. We're talking about, you know, omnipresent and all this stuff. And in the Bible, is illustrating that. Okay, you know what was really bizarre? People, we get hung up with Jesus not knowing this. But you're not hung up with the fact that Jesus gets tired and has to sleep? We don't have a problem with that? God gets tired and has to sleep? Oh, here's another one. Jesus gets hungry and has to eat. We don't have a problem with that. Here's the other one. Really shows the humanity of Christ. They, in eternity past, God the Father and God the Son had an agreement, and they had a plan as to how they were going to redeem mankind, didn't they? Jesus knew what he was going to do and what he was coming for, right? He knew he had to die. He, need to, he knew all this stuff. He knew what was going to happen. He knew all this stuff. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Not in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying. And what does he say? If it's possible, please take this cup from me. It's illuminating the weakness of humanity. So if you had any doubts that Jesus was man, like, I'm not sure Jesus was man. When you read these scriptures, it's showing you he was. Scriptures are making it clear that Christ had to really be man. And let me tell you something, family. If Jesus is not man, we are all condemned. Because if Jesus didn't come as a man, we have no representation. He could only represent us as human beings like Adam did by becoming a man. If Jesus wasn't a man... He couldn't represent us. You know what else he couldn't do? He couldn't intercede on our behalf. And in order for him to successfully intercede between man and God, the best inter person who can intercede between the two is the person who has something to do with both. Right? So back, back kind of in the wild, wild west, they would say some of the best interceders between uh, the, the Indian nations and, and the, the, white, uh, the white man was those that were born of both, half Indian, half white. They were the best interceders because they represented what? Both sides. So they could intercede for both sides. So what would make the best, in who, what kind of individual would make the best interceder between man and God? Somebody who was both man and God. 
He couldn't be our mediator. He couldn't sympathize with our weakness. He couldn't die. Jesus had to be man. So let's not confuse that. So we're looking at these types of things. The scripture is illuminating Jesus' humanity. And we say, oh, well, look, he's, he can't do that. So therefore, he's not God. No, that's not what it means. Scripture is illuminating his humanity, making it very clear that Jesus was man. See, this is where our culture gets in the way. There's a conflict within our culture. It happens. Because do you realize that in the first century when Christianity first started, what was the heresy that they were actually dealing with first? It actually wasn't a denial that Jesus was God. Do you know what the denial was? That Jesus was man. People couldn't believe that Jesus was man. People couldn't believe that he, he, he was made flesh. They were like, he just appeared to be a man, but he was God. He's divine. He's the divine son of God. He, they had a problem believing in his humanity, and that's why we see in the scriptures a very, very strong stress, especially in the epistles, of Christ being man and Christ being human. Christ had to be man in order for him to die for our sins. Christ also had to be God for his death to be worth the life of billions of people. Right? One man to one man. If Christ was simply a man and not God and he died, his life would pay for how many men? But a God who was infinite in life could pay for how many men? An infinite amount. He had to be man. He had to be God. And all of this is the point of redemption. For the plan to save man. And the last thing, we got to do this really quick. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So what the Bible is teaching us here is that these are not three gods. One in substance, one in essence. You could maybe say nature. Three in person. There's only one God. So united, not just in purpose, not just in mind, not just in thought, not just in what they're doing. You know, it's not the same like unity with us. But essentially what he's saying is that they're made out of the same thing. And they can only be one. I am the Lord, Isaiah 45. I am the Lord, there is no other. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. See, they're emphasizing the humanity of Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 30, there is only one God. He makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jew or Gentile. So the scriptures make it clear that the three persons of the Trinity are distinct. They are fully God and they are one. And that should be enough for us. Right? <laughs> then why all the issues today? Why are professing evangelical Christians rejecting these truths? Why are they walking away from this truth? Why has there been and always been church history heretical groups who reject the divinity of Christ or the distinction of the Holy Spirit? Because family, in sin, we are always questioning the word of God. Let's just be honest. In sin, 
We're just always doing that, questioning God's word. I always preach that if, you know, and I, and I pretty regularly do this. I always preach, if the Bible says it, that should be enough for us, right? But what are we finding? We find it and it never is. Our sin nature causes us to wickedly question the word of God. And his motives, like, and, and, and we want to question his motives also, like Adam and Eve questioned God's word and questioned his motives. Did God really say? Isn't that kind of our, uh, it just almost seems like it's one of those foundational uh, uh, lines that we're seeing developed in modern Christianity today, in modern evangelicalism today. Did God really say, when it comes to the Bible, did God really say, did God really say that Jesus was God, right? Remember I told you earlier that there's some groups that are saying, I, I, the Bible doesn't even say that Jesus is God. Did God really say that Jesus is God? Did Jesus really call himself God? Did God really say that the Holy Spirit is a distinct person? Did God really say that wisdom is more precious than rubies? <laughs> did God say that? Did he really say that we shouldn't lie? Did, did God really say that we shouldn't have sex before marriage? Now, some of the young people like to press that one. Did God really say that, Shane? Did God really say that homosexuality is a sin? I mean, come on. Did, is God really legalistic about men being men and women being women? Can't men be women and women be men? Did God really say that we can be punished for adultery? I mean, for real, is stealing really that bad? Is it really wrong? When God said to honor my father and mother, did he really mean that? Did God really say that? I love the world right now. Does it really mean that I have hatred for God now? When God said that, did he really mean that? If I gain the whole world and lose my own soul, I mean, is that really not good? I mean, did God really say that? I mean, really? This is what we do in our own way. We do these kinds of things when it comes to God's word. But the scriptures are clear, especially when it comes to the Trinity family. I'm going to say it again. Second John, Second John, no chapter. Second John, verses 9 to 11. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God. But anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. This is how serious this is, family. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, it's the truth about Christ, don't invite that person into your home or give them any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people, supports such people, becomes a partner in their evil work. You know what the Greek word for partner is there? Koinonia. <laughs> You're busted. This is how serious it is. So serious that if you don't teach this, you don't have a relationship with God. And if you support people that do, you're just as guilty as they are. Oh. But Shane, did God really say that? Now, get this. 
Is that what God really means? There will be punishment for sin. The wages of sin is death. And this is an eternal death, eternal damnation, eternal darkness. It's for real. Some may say, well, but Shane, man, I, I do this all the time, man. I, and I, and I, I had doubts about the Trinity and all this stuff. And, you know, I've been questioning God's word and all this stuff. And, and, and dude, it, is, is that it, man? Am, am, I, am I just destined for eternal damnation now? Can, can I be forgiven? Absolutely you can. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Jesus came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. Is there forgiveness for us today? Absolutely there's forgiveness for us today. We can be forgiven of this. The promises continue. There is forgiveness for our arrogance and our doubt because the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, that's the beauty family today of the Trinity, the wonderful salvation, the plan to save man. It was all dependent on this, that each one was distinct. Each one was fully God, and that God is one God. Take away any of those things. You take away just a small little bit of any of that stuff. And family, we are doomed and we are condemned in our sin. It's the beauty of the Trinity. God the Father is not the Son. He's not the Holy Spirit. He is fully God, but He is one. The Son is not the Father or the Holy Spirit. He is fully God, but one. The Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son. He is fully God, but one. And this is glorious, glorious for us, because it means that God is right now, at this very moment, He is above us, He is before us, and He is within us. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.